You're listening to Proudly Said, a Brave Questions Safe Spaces program series presented by VML YNR's diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. We're here to discuss topics from across the rainbow spectrum designed to give listeners a deeper insight into the LGBTQ community, free of judgment and full of pride. For many people around the world, simply living truthfully and being proud of who you are can have violent consequences. Transgender people face this reality every day that merely by existing, they can be met by rage. On Friday, November 20th, we honor the International Transgender Day of Remembrance, as well as Transgender Awareness Week, not only by memorializing, but celebrating our brothers and sisters in the transgender community. The conversation shared on this episode sheds light into two individuals' experiences and is not meant to represent the entire community. Hello and welcome. I am April Marshall, although some of you may know me under a different name, Doug Marshall. And I have been asked to be a part of this and share my story for International Transgender Day of Awareness and Transgender Awareness Week. And I felt it only right to do that under my preferred name. So uh, if you aren't aware of me, I work in the Kansas City Redfuse office as an art director. And um, I am very excited to have a guest with me in this. So it's not just you listening to me babble for this entire time. Uh, We have Dahlia with us uh, from our Brazil office. Very excited to have her here. Um, Say hi, Dahlia. Hello. I'm <laughs> excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, April. Oh, I mean, it's it's wonderful to have someone who has a different experience being in another yeah. country, being a woman of color, um, coming from that different perspective um, is very important because that's mm-hmm. one of the most important things to keep in mind is that as we talk about the Transgender Day of Remembrance, it is a day where we bring visibility to all of the transgender people who have lost their lives over the last year. Unfortunately, that number never seems to go down. And trans women of color are the most at risk. African-American, black, transgender women are the single most, but Latina transgender are the next group there as far as um, at risk. And being in Brazil, that is repeatedly top of the list, so to say, for Transgender Day of Remembrance. Uh, Brazil repeatedly has the highest number of deaths for transgender women. I mean, South America, Central America in total have high, high numbers there. But you live and and I, I, if I remember correctly, you grow, grew up in the country that has these single largest numbers. And if you could tell us a little bit about your story. Yes, of course. First of all, I would like to to point the fact that we're talking about different perspectives and there are things like, to me, in my country, I'm not a woman of color. Like I, I am a woman of color for you in North America. Like in my country, I am Caucasian because I, I have light skin. You know, and here in Brazil, we have this mutt complex. (laughs) There are people here that really think they're white, like they're Caucasian, you know, 
because your your grandfather was German and came to Brazil and blah 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 and I'm like uh, you know but by your perspective I'm a woman of color for you for your culture and but in my country I'm not considered a woman of color so this is very important for me to say because I am involved in some uh, black movements here uh my boyfriend is black i have a few uh black friends black trans uh women as as friends and i am part of this of the talks and everything and for us here my talk is always from a place of like being a light skinned uh, transgender woman in a uh, in a latin american country you know, and you for, so I'm, that clarification, yeah. that's that comes from a place of ignorance on my part. I mean, I try to be an activist and an advocate as much as possible. But I mean, that's the wonderful thing about having your perspective here is those are things that I yeah. never knew or even would have considered. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And this is and, and this is this is interesting. You know, I always found it really interesting how uh, in my country I'm considered white and in other countries I would never be considered a white person. You know, right. I, I like most countries of the world where where, where I am, I would be considered like uh, a a woman of color, like a, a Latin uh, woman, and and this is I always found it really interesting how this you know how 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 racial issues are are different in different places and everything, and as we're going to talk here uh, about about hate crimes, about um, the trans remembrance. And uh, so I think it's really it's uh, and 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 when we talk about it, we cannot talk about trans women of color, you know, because we or they or you know, <laughs> depends on your perspective, and are who suffer the most about it. So I just wanted to point this because it I really think it's really interesting because it's like Brazilian culture. You know, light-skinned person here are considered white people. Yeah, it's crazy, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I'm Dahlia. And uh, <laughs> this, this said, I'm Dahlia. I'm 28 years old. I live in Brazil. I was born and raised here. I was born in Rio de Janeiro, which is my 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 birth city. But I live in São Paulo for uh, for seven years now. And I think basically this this is my story. Like I studied I studied tourism when I was young. I graduated in in tourism, but I never really worked with it. Um, I did a lot of things since then. Like I was um, a salesperson at a makeup store. I I was a salesperson in in clothes stores. I was cultural producer. I I was uh, assistant when um, working with a theater and and contemporary dance spectacles. 
um, yeah. A lot. So I, I worked uh, for a long time with culture here in my country. Um, I, I then I worked as a producer at uh, electronic music parties. So I worked in raves, a lot of raves here. Um, I know I did a lot. Yeah. No it seems focus. like expressing yourself has always been an important part of your personality, and I'm guessing that started at a yeah. young age. I mean, so how old were you when you came out as transgender? When I came out as transgender, like, I came out to my family. I, I came out at school as a gay boy when I still thought I was a gay boy, when I was 16 years old. I came out at school, like I told everyone. I met some other uh, gay boys at school, and we like we came out to each other, like we were four. We came out to each other, and we were like, "Oh my god, this is our secret now." And then we decided to be like a gang, and we came out to the entire school, and we like protected each other, you know, That's from good. from Bali. Yeah, and so we were like four really young gay boys protecting each other at school. Like we always walked together. We were together every time and everywhere. And no one willed us because we were four, you know, and and two of them were really big. So it was not my case. But one year later, I came out to my family and my parents freaked out. They... They expelled me from home when I was 17 years old. I was still um, underage here in Brazil. And, and it was a really, really hard time in my life. And I dare to say that I just survived this, this phase because um, my parents were not perfect, you know. They, they have their flaws, but they always educated me really well and they were always there you know while while i was corresponding to their expectations they were always there for me they gave me everything they gave me books they gave me video games they gave me a computer for me to have information and my family were never rich my family like they worked really hard to have everything but they came until they came from favela until you came out, so you had a really good relationship with them up until that point when you were 17 and came out to them. It was not a, a good relationship, but it was better than it would become later. And we had we had respect. They always supported me. They gave me the best education they could. They, they gave me information, rates to book and everything they could to make me like, uh, the better person I could be. Mm -hmm. and, and then I came out to them and I lost everything. Like they literally uh, just throw me in the, in, the, um, in the sidewalk and like, okay, now do what you want with your life. We're not responsible for you anymore, and that's what I did. Yeah, and when I was, it, and it was a really, really hard time in my life. And I, as I told you, I just survived because I had this based education, and 
um, you know, and, and I think it helped me not to get completely lost in life. As we all know that that's what happens the most with, with girls like us, you know, and yeah, I mean, that when is I was, aspect of it is the large number yeah. um, of, of, of transgender people that wind up homeless, um, unemployed. Yeah. <clears throat> the staggering number, 42% of transgender people attempt suicide at some point. Yeah. That's where we start looking into all those numbers once the stability is taken away. And so, I mean, credit to you that you have been so resilient um, in, yeah. in, in a place where really the odds are stacked against you. I mean, that's, that's an incredible um, story of growth. I, I, I feel like that I think about it every day for the last 10 years, I swear. I always think about like, I was so lucky, you know, I was so, so lucky because uh, so many bad things happened to me in this, uh, during these years. And I, I almost died a few years. I attempted to suicide a few times. And so sorry. Um, yeah, I've, I, I've have always been really close to this, to this thin line that, you know, that when, when this fall down starts and, and you get to, to the drugs and the prostitution and the violence and abuse and everything that we know that, um, you know, like is, is strikes our community every day. It's and I always lost myself so many times. And I, I always, every day, I think about it. Like, I think I'm so lucky to be here, you know, yeah. because I don't know. I don't know how I did it. I really, I really don't know. <laughs> well, I and, mean, I think that's a very important part of it is that and something that you brought up uh, when we were talking before we started recording about how often um, – at least with transgender uh, women, that the stories match a lot of the same. Uh, yeah, on the exactly. Path. They really follow the same path a lot of times. For me, um, I did not have any. Um, I unfortunately did not have the the school support or anything. I was very mm -hmm. closeted. I grew up in a small town. Mm -hmm. I started dressing at a young age because I knew I was different than the real boys, um, I did not fit in with those expectations. And I got a whole lot of stuff. I was already in an abusive environment. There was physical, yeah. Yeah. sexual, emotional abuse that I, that I had to deal with already. And I, because of my junior high counselor, um, he's probably the only reason that I made it through those years. Um, so I try to give a shout mm -hmm. out to Mr. Stephen Beggs, uh, as much as possible, because he saved my life um, during those times. Yeah, he was the only adult that I felt I could really trust, and mm -hmm. even he did not know what was going on with the transgender stuff. I started dressing, and I started building a small little pile of clothing, and I thought I had the best hiding place because I hid it under the mattress of my waterbed. No judgment. It was like 1990. Okay, waterbeds were not totally <laughs> past that point. 
We were uh, poor white people living in a small town. It seemed like luxury. Yeah. Um, and so one night, I guess my mom had found my stuff and she came charging into my room and uh, turned the lights on. And I had no idea what was happening, but I knew she was drunk. And she reached underneath the mattress, pulled some clothes out and started beating me with a shoe and saying, you're sick. You're a F word. Uh, you need help. And that was incredibly traumatic for me to uh, to to hear these things. I mean, it's like any kind of abuse. Abuse yeah. is, is such a betrayal because it's somebody that's supposed to protect you no matter what hurting you and betraying you. And at that point, it's not that I thought that it was normal that I dressed up yeah. or that I felt mm -hmm. more feminine. I still hit it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel guilty or dirty about it until that point. And that's something that stuck with me to this day um, because already society tends to see transgender people mm -hmm. and sexualize them. And yeah. for there's a large segment of the, of the community of the world that either sees transgender women as fetish dispensers – sorry to be mm -hmm. blunt, but lack of a better term – or sexual predators. It was scary, and I thought about transitioning at 21, blah, 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 um, tried to transition back in 2016, and unfortunately found out before I was going to start uh, HRT, hormone replacement therapy. It's basically when you start taking estrogen as a trans female, and uh, found out that I had some blood conditions that would have made me, if I started taking the hormones like 40 to 50 times more likely to clot than the average person. And so I had every medical professional treating me, telling me don't do it. And I had to make some hard decisions at that time. And yeah. I, I'm like you, I've dealt with, I also deal with ADHD, depression, PTSD from the abuse, um, anxiety, and all of these things that affect me anyway, and suicidal ideation as well. Um, which if you don't know what suicidal ideation means, it means you think about it and you actually find relief in thoughts of suicide, but you don't have plans in place, um, yeah. which is an important delineation to make. But, but yeah, it's you, we all kind of tend to go through those things. And I don't want to speak necessarily for trans males. I really wish I, I tried to find um, someone to come on, but – the funny thing is, is that it is so much easier for trans men to, and I'm going to use the dirty word, pass, um, to not get clocked because testosterone is quite an amazing thing and uh, causes the hair growth and changes your muscles and your your structure and your voice and everything else. When you're a transgender woman and you start your hormonal treatment, you get crazy and it's unstable. You know, you, you, you talk about you become that, a mess. Like a second puberty. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And hormonal change. And then you're like 25 years old and you dye your hair pink. It's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you've gotta do this because you didn't do it when you was 14. Because yes. you were a boy being bullied at school. You might actually understand. I have a hard time getting people to understand this. 
is that yeah. like we talked a little bit like, before you know, about that. Let I me use bowls. Let me use lace. Let me use cute things when I'm almost thirty. I started my transition when I was twenty-two. You know, this is this is my female pu puberty. You 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 were a female teenager. I was not. Respect my time. Like we look at. It's now become much more normalized that we now see younger and younger people transitioning and getting to go on hormone replacement therapy um, before puberty, which is, I mean, biologically, we are almost indistinguishable before puberty. Yeah. Um, before we start developing yeah. secondary gender markers and like um, mm -hmm. uh, breasts or um, yeah. hair, things like that. Um, yeah. And it's easy to, if you block the testosterone and start the hormones, then you pretty much don't have to go through those changes. And we were talking, I was saying that I, it's a thing that I have to deal with in therapy sometimes. <laughs> I will get almost angry, jealous of them getting to do that, not having to correct things. But um, when you were talking about going through the cute stuff and being like, well, you got to be a teenage girl. I have yeah. a real hard time getting people to understand that that sometimes I will get sad because I'll think about the things that girls go through normally, the normal exactly. benchmarks, and I'll get sad thinking about it. You know, it's like the sweet 16, the getting to have the princess birthday, yeah. going to yeah. your first dance, your first kiss, all of these yeah. things that you dream of and that girls go through. You didn't get yeah. to experience any of that. And I think there is Never. almost an arrested development that comes from that. You struggle um, with being a woman, but not having went through some of those signpost exactly. moments. I have a theory about it. When I was 18 years old, I found myself as a woman, you know, like um, everything I told until now, it was like when I thought it was a gay boy. Mm -hmm. When I was 18 years old, I realized that no, there's something, uh, there's something that that's still lacking. Um, I don't feel, I don't feel complete. I, I, I just don't, you know, just don't. And then I studied a lot. I always like to read, and and then I knew about the you know, about gender roles and, and gender questioning and the transgender identity. And I read about it and I knew more about it. And at that time, our community were just starting to walk into this, this movement of let's respect trans people because trans people are invisible, you know, in this, in, in, in our community. And, and a lot of people told me that I would have to get in prostitution to leave. A lot of people told me that. Well, yeah, that's the assumption is that you have to go. Into yeah, that's what happened at that time. No one will hire you. And, and a lot of people told me that I would get HIV. And then when I was 21, I really started my transition. I, it, that's, that's my my mark for me in my life. Like when I was 21, I left Rio de Janeiro. I moved to Sao Paulo and 
I told my parents, like, hey, do you remember when you freaked out because I was a gay boy? I have some news. <laughs> You're really not going to like this one. I have a good, I have some good news. I'm not a gay boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, your framing is no, beautiful. No, but... I have another bad news, so you better be sick. <laughs> Let's talk about a few things. And I that's inject here real quick, uh, because I just want to add this in because I actually had a second coming out. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Because uh, my mom, obviously, that was a real rough one that was unintentional. But when I decided to come out uh, in October of 2016, I had pretty much come out to everybody that I knew. Uh, I was even out at work. And I do – just side note, I had what I would call a blessed transition to that point. People – there are people that would literally have killed to have the kind of transition I've had up to that point. I was a contractor at a company and they kept me on. I was their first trans employee that was transitioning on the job as a contractor. As a contractor, they can say you farted the wrong way on a Tuesday and, and be gone, but they kept me on there. And so credit to them for that. Yeah. My friends were all supportive. I still got to go to my local dive bar and sing my karaoke. Um, and so I was very blessed in that way. But I finally told my mom and I, I went to her house and I said, hey, mom, you know how the other day you were saying you love me no matter what? And she said, yes. And I go, I need you to remember that for the next five minutes. And I basically told her that I'm transgender. And she looked at me and went, OK. Like I told her I was going to dye my hair. I'm like, what? This got a way bigger reaction last time. I don't like yeah, this. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. Now, uh, we, we don't have a whole lot of time. I do want to get into talking a little bit about uh, the Day of Remembrance. Uh, but being that this is um, under the proudly said banner, um, there is sometimes – a little bit of uh, friction between the L, the G, the B, and the T. Um, there are some movements to remove transgender under from that banner. Um, sometimes the LGB community is not exactly the most accepting of, of transgender people. And I yeah, wonder okay. if you had any thoughts on that. I do. When I started my, my transition, it was really hard for me. You can only imagine how was it for me to be like 20 years old, to have a female puberty. I was full of hormones, you know, coming oh, yeah. out of my ears. <laughs> and, and I was, and there, are, there were so many people, so many people, my family, my friends at work, and everyone I met, anyone I met at a bar, telling me so many things, you know, and I, it, it, so many good and bad things, but so many things. And I, w I mostly felt like my identity wasn't mine. You know, like my life 
wasn't mine because everyone knew uh, uh, what I should do with my life better than me <clears throat> because it was a transgender girl. Right. They knew about my identity better than me all the time. You know? Funny how they that always knew. They always knew better. They always knew what to do. They, uh, you know, they could teach me how to be a real woman. <laughs> they could teach me how to have a good job. And most, like a great, a big part of these people were LGB people. I usually tell my friends that, I don't know what, what my cisgender friends, I usually tell them, I don't know what goes through your head. You know, this is cisgender stuff. I can't understand you, <laughs> you know. Oh my God, yes, because, yes. Because they, they're always in this place where they are the standard they are the correct gender expression. And in my life, I think I just started to feel comfortable as the woman I am, because that's what I am. And if you say I'm not, you're yes. wrong. <laughs> and I just got, you know, like, I just, I just started to, to really be happy when I started to take back what's mine. My identity is mine. My self-esteem is mine. You know, my my life is mine. This is not yours. I'm not your variation. I'm not the other one. I'm not a stranger. You know, I am my reality. I am my standard. Yes. And any other person is a variation for me because you're not inside me. Yes. You know. I love it. And when I started doing it, that's when I started to really feel pretty. We're going to have to end things. Dahlia, you've been amazing. And your perspective, I've learned a lot from you. And uh, you are totally my sister. And I love you. You are amazing. And I cannot imagine having done this without you today. I do want to say real quickly, um, there are so many things that we could say about the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Uh, generally, at a lot of the memorials, they will memorial or a lot of the gatherings, they will memorialize everyone. There is one person that was here locally. And so if I may, I just really want, want to read this. This was on Forbes.com. Erin Burnett, a black transgender woman, was killed in Independence, Missouri on September 19th. Her friends and family shared, if you wanted to have a good day, you need to smile. Aaron was the person you wanted by your side. And it's a non-traditional spelling of Aaron, so please, if anybody knew her, forgive me if I mispronounced the name, but I, I think that's a wonderful remembrance of her. I, I, making others happy is a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. So, uh, I mean, this has been amazing, and I feel like we could do a dozen more of these. There's so many things I wish I had said on this but that kind of brings us here towards the end and uh so this is kind of the final thoughts moment and um i was wondering uh dahlia if you could give us if there's one thing the most important thing you'd want to share with everybody listening what would it be if there are people from our community listen to us in this moment we have to be together we all have story we all have a background and there are so many things that I've been through and you haven't. And we, we have our specifications, but we're still a community and we have to be together. If there are someone who are not from our community, 
listen to us uh, right now, what you have to know is that we're not the other one. We're not the stranger. We're, we're not an alternative lifestyle. We are our lifestyle and we are our own standard. And this is fine. You know, th there is room for all of us, for all of us in the world. We don't have to compete to, to, to who have more rights or less rights or, you know, I don't want to be better than anyone. I just want to be respected. Yeah, it's never a competition. I just want to be respected and live with dignity as the woman I am. That's amazing. I mean, that is, yeah. you are a brave, strong, beautiful woman. It has been an honor talking with you. As my final thought, I would share, I'm actually going to steal from the comedian Patton Oswald uh, from his special that's on Netflix called um, uh, Annihilation, where he talked about his wife that had passed and that mm -hmm. she hated the term, well, it all happens for a reason. No, it's chaos. It's chaos. There's no reason. It's chaos. Be kind. And that, especially over the last eight months, when we have been in turmoil, we've been physically separated from those we love in our lives and what we normally do. I try to remember and make that my mantra. It's chaos. Be kind. Thank you so much to all of you that listened. Your time and your attention means the world to us. So thank you for tuning in. Proudly Said is a podcast series as part of our Brave Questions Safe Spaces program, a program that serves as a springboard for VML YNR employees around the world to share, learn, empathize, and better understand each other. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify to keep up with the latest episodes. Uh, on behalf of, of Dahlia and uh, myself, April, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. <laughs>